So Acts chapter 6, and we'll be starting at verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came up upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Well, for one reason or the other, sometimes people prefer to stay in the darkness rather than to come to the light. There's a man by the name of Joe Murphy. Joe Murphy was the number one draft pick in the NHL in 1986. He had an extremely promising career. He had 152 points um, in just 51 games for the Penticton Knights junior hockey team. After that, he scored 61 points in just 35 games for Michigan State University. And again, he was drafted number one overall in the NHL draft in 1986. He never quite lived up to the hype of, of what people expected that he would achieve, but by most standards, he had a very successful NHL career. He played for 17 seasons in the NHL, over 17 seasons, and he accrued over $13 million while he played. But today, if you go to Kenora, Ontario, you will f- might find him underneath a Canadian Tire gas station sleeping, or inside of the corridor of a restaurant, or on a bench. And the thing that's interesting about Joe is that Joe doesn't have to live this way. He has $1,000 coming in each month, but that quickly he quickly spends that. The NHL Alumni Association has repeatedly tried to help him. Most recently, they put him up in an extended stay hotel over last winter, but he soon moved out and preferred to roam the streets. Social workers, his lawyer... Everyone has tried to help him, and the Alumni Association said if he would say the word, they would have all these resources available to him as soon as he said the word. He's eligible for a $75,000 medical settlement, but he didn't want to go through the paperwork and the things that would be required to get that settlement. And so he wanders the street, reportedly getting high on crystal meth, and lives that way and chooses to live that way, even though... There's a way out. Chooses to live in darkness rather than in the light. I knew another man a number of years ago who passed away. And uh, he was involved in a number of illicit things, uh, drugs. Uh, He was involved in a lot of schemes of theft and and things of that nature. And uh, he lived this life where he would kind of have to travel from place to place. He would be in an apartment for a while, and then either he wouldn't pay the rent in the apartment, or he would kind of tick off the wrong people, and then he would have to move to another place and another place. And his family saw what was happening and did everything they could to try to help him. Bailed him out of jail, brought him food, helped him clean. Eventually, they decided they were going to help him buy a home, a motor home. They thought maybe this would be a turning point for him. He'd have his own place. He wouldn't have to keep moving around. And so they pulled their resources together, bought him 
uh, a trailer home. He moved in, got a dog. Things seems things like seemed like it was going well, but it wasn't long before he was dissatisfied. He called it the tin can. And soon he was out on the streets again, wandering from apartment to apartment, going back to his old ways. One of the most difficult aspects and frustrating aspects of life and ministry is that sometimes people prefer darkness rather than the light. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 18, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. People love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. There's a website called The Experience Project. And The Experience Project, uh, they describe themselves as a place where where people can share life experiences from people like you. Have millions and millions of visitors. And uh, people who go to that website answer questions like, what does loneliness feel like? Or who are the people that you most want to spend spend time with? One day there was a question that was asked and they said, respond to the statement, I prefer darkness over the light. And one user going by the screen name Beyond Repair said this very insightfully. He said, I prefer darkness over light. The darkness allows me to hide who I am and what I truly feel. In the light, all things have a chance to be revealed. Darkness makes it easier to hide. In the dark, you cannot see what's coming next. The darkness is a place where you can lose yourself. Lost in the dark is a great place to be because then you are free from what you were and can be what you want. The darkness is a bliss. Sometimes we'll spend a great deal of time and energy and maybe even resources investing in somebody else's life only to find that they'll choose darkness over light. And this is especially frustrating sometimes when you know exactly what, how they could get out of the predicament that they're in. You see the decisions that they're making and the way that they're kind of destroying their lives. And you see a way out, but they don't go that way. They choose the darkness over the light. In the passage that we're looking at today, we see something similar. Last week we saw that these seven men are raised up to care for the widows. One of those men's name is Stephen. And the apostles, their primary job is to pray and to preach the gospel. But despite that, Stephen is also preaching the gospel while he's caring for the widows. And that, just as an aside, that just tells us a lot about, uh, speaks to us today. You know, some people are called to be missionaries or pastors to preach the gospel, but All of us, no matter what our calling is, are also called to share the gospel in the relationships that we find ourselves in. So Stephen is sharing the gospel, and he's described as having great grace and great power. God's Spirit is upon him, and there's incredible results that are happening because of his preaching of the gospel. Great signs and wonders are being done in verse 7. That we looked at last week, we saw that some of the priests are coming to faith, people who had previously uh, rejected or persecuted the disciples, they're coming to faith. But we see in this passage that not everyone agrees. Not everyone goes along. Not everyone will come to the light. And we see often that the first step when the world rejects the gospel is that they'll try to find kind of some something in our message to kind of 
refute us or something in our lives to try to show, us, show that the gospel is not true. In this passage, we see that the men come and they dispute with Stephen. That's the first step. They dispute with him. They try to kind of best him by arguing against him. But Stephen speaks the word of truth and they can't best him by arguing. But that's the first step of what they try to do. They try to find kind of a hole in the armor, so to speak. They find it, try to find something in our message or in our lives that is wrong. And I, I don't think this is always a malicious thing. I mean, the, the truth is, if the gospel is true, if Jesus came to the earth, died on the cross, rose again, and, and calls for all men to repent, then it ha- says things to us. It changes how we should live our lives. And so for some, it's easier not to believe. It's easier to turn a blind eye to that than to have to deal with the fact that we need to turn to God. And so implicitly, I think some people don't want the gospel to be true. Because if it's true, it means that there's demands that it places on us. And so they look to our lives or our message to try to find a reason not to believe the gospel. And the sad part is, often we give them reasons not to believe. We give them reasons when we live lives of hypocrisy, when we live lives of sinfulness, when we speak about things that we don't know, when we speak before we listen, when we treat people unkindly, when we're not prepared to answer the question that the world has, when we don't know the faith that we believe in, when we don't know God's word, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who need not be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The good news is we can be prepared to share our faith. We can study God's word. We can pray and rely on the Holy Spirit to create a life of holiness inside of us. These are things that we can control. Also, the scripture says that we need to have a reckless, incredible love for those around us. And as we have that incredible, reckless love, that will draw the watching world in. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3 says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. John thirteen thirty four to 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also to love one another. By this people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The love that we share for one another is something that can break down walls. It can break down the barriers that people have to the gospel. Uh, recently, Barna did a poll of people who are Christians or who are, or who are not Christians or people who are lapsed Christians, meaning they hadn't gone to church in the last month. And what they found was that 62% of those people said that they would be open to talking to somebody about spiritual things if that person was not judgmental. If they had a listening ear and they weren't judgmental. But sadly, they found that only 32% of those people said that they, could, they had a Christian person that they knew in their life that was like that, that was not judgmental. If we come with a humble attitude, 
with a heart of love, those barriers can start to be broken down. Nobody likes to receive uh, traffic tickets. I've received two tickets in my life. Uh, The first ticket, clearly I was doing something wrong, driving a little bit too fast, got pulled over. Officer was, you know, polite, nice, you know, and I I did wrong, driving too fast, fine. The next time I got pulled over, uh, the officer was kind of trying to get me on a technicality. And he was just not a very nice person, very rude, acted like, uh, you know, kind of talked down to me. And I remember that experience, and it made me upset. Yeah, technically what I was doing, in a sense, was wrong. But I w- it just made me so upset because he was so rude to me. The thing about getting traffic tickets is, you know, if, you're, if a person is a police officer, they probably know better than anybody. Nobody's, it's nobody's fault ever. I mean, nobody ever does anything wrong when they get pulled over, right? You know, and I think that's true here, and it's probably even more true in a a big place like Los Angeles and New York City. And uh, in Los Angeles County, if anybody uh, gets a complaint, any officer gets a complaint against them, it goes into their file, and that stays there for, uh, for, I think, forever. Maybe the same is true around here. I'm not sure. But as they were looking through the files, the uh, sheriff... Of the ones uh, of LA County found that there was this one man, and his name was Elton Simmons. He'd been serving as a police officer for over 20 years, and he pulled over 25,000 plus people, issued thousands of tickets, and they found that he never once received a complaint, never received one complaint in his file. It was such a shocking story that CBS sent a news team to investigate and f- try to find out what his secret was. In their words, they found a pitch-perfect mix of authority and diplomacy. Simmons himself described his approach this way. He says, I'm here with you, not up here, as he motions his arms towards the sky. He said, one thing I hate is to be looked down on. I can't stand it, so I'm not going to look down at you. A driver who got a ticket from Simmons agreed and said, you know what it is? It's his smile. How could you be mad at that guy? CBS News concluded, apparently you can't. Time after time, ticket after ticket, we saw Officer Simmons melt away a polar ice cap of preconceptions. And his boss claims there's a lesson there for hard-nosed cops everywhere. So this cop, he had to share inconvenient news, pull people over, give them tickets, something nobody wants to experience, having to pay a fine going to court. And yet he was able to do it in such a way that people didn't get angry. They didn't file one complaint against him. How much more, we have a good message to share, the message of God's love. How much more if we approach others with a a posture of humility and grace, how much more will that break down the barriers that people have against the gospel? We see in the passage before this that many people do break down. Many people do come to faith, but not everyone. Even when we do all the right things, even when we're prepared to share our faith, even when we show love to those around us, even when we do have a humble attitude, sometimes people will still choose to walk in darkness. And that's hard for us to deal with sometimes because we want to think if we do all the right things, then we'll get a good response, right? But sometimes it doesn't happen that way. 
And we see that in this passage. The people in this passage, the people uh, of the synagogue of freedmen, which means basically they were just people who were uh, formerly slaves that were freed. And there's people from these other nations. They try to come to him and argue with him. And that doesn't work. He's, he knows what he's doing. He's prepared for to defend the faith. And now they move to the next level. Now they're going to start to make up stuff against him. They're going to make up lies. It says in the text that they instigated the people. They start to whisper in their ears. And these lies that they tell them are things that are lies, but they have a tiny bit of shred of truth to them. There's a tiny element of truth. They try to accuse him of speaking blasphemous words against God and the the temple. Speaking against his holy place and the law saying that he says that Jesus will destroy the temple and will change the customs of the people. Now, there was a shred of truth to that. Stephen may have been preaching that the temple no longer had the place of prominence that it used to have. That Jesus had come and he was the new temple, the place where God and humanity met. And so the temple, while it was there in a place where people could gather, it wasn't as important as it used to be in the Old Testament where God would meet with man in the temple. He may have taught that Jesus fulfilled the law, and the law was no longer held the place of prominence that it used to in ancient Israel. But these people take a grain of what he said, and they maybe add to it or take it out of context, and they try to stir up trouble among the people to get Stephen in trouble. And I think sometimes in our day and age, the world will do the same thing. If they can't trip us up on our life or doctrine, they'll sometimes take a shred of truth and add to it or take us out of context to try to make us marginalized. Maybe it's, you know, saying, you Christians, all you believe is in fairy tales. You don't have any evidence for what you believed. And that's simply not the case. There are Faith is faith. Of course, we have to believe in someone that we do not see. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But there are evidences. There are reasons to believe what we believe. There's reasons uh, to believe that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. Uh, Today in our culture, um, there's, there's this issue of homosexuality. And what will happen oftentimes in our culture is they'll take this... Uh, this view that Christians hate homosexual, homosexuals. And, and that's something that's not true in any sense. In any sense. Now, maybe some Christians and uh, our so-called Christians have hated homosexuals, but people who are followers of Jesus should never hate homosexuals. You know, they, they, may be, they believe that homosexuality is wrong, just like uh, adultery is wrong or pornography or any other of a host of sins. But we don't hate people who do those things. We don't hate people who commit adultery. We don't hate people who watch pornography. We don't hate people who lie. God calls us to love everyone. But sometimes the world will take a shred of something and take it out of context and add to it to try to marginalize us. Sometimes it it results to kind of personal attacks on our integrity and character. Remember the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Uh, Joseph was serving uh, Potiphar, and he would, go, he would go into Potiphar's house each day. Each day he would go in, Potiphar's wife would say, come sleep with me. And each day he would say, no, I got to honor my master. I got to honor God. I can't do this wicked thing. 
And he withstands that temptation day after day. And that yet one day, she comes, grabs his cloak, and he runs away, does the right thing, flees from that situation. And yet what does she do? She goes and spreads lies about him, says, he came in here to accost me. He came in here to take advantage of me. And sometimes that will happen in our own lives. If they can't get us on something true, they'll make up things to marginalize us. Yet despite these things, despite these lies that are brought against Stephen, we see that everyone can see his innocence. Everybody can see the truth of what he has to say. In the text it says that his face, face shined like an angel. We don't know exactly what that looked like, but we know that his face just radiated the glory of God. And everyone could see his innocence. Despite what people were saying, it was clear that this man was innocent before God. This man was telling the truth. Can you identify with Stephen at all? Have you ever had a time in your life when you did all the right things? When you prayed for someone, when you showed incredible love to someone, maybe gave financially even to them, and then you find that they prefer darkness over light. They're not interested in the gospel. They're not interested in changing their life. They're just going to stay exactly where they're at. I think when we experience these things, I think it gives us a taste of what God experiences. What he feels when we choose to walk in darkness. Because it's not just other people who choose to walk in darkness. It's all of us. All of us choose to walk in darkness. All of us prefer the darkness sometimes over than coming to God's light. All of us sometimes choose sin over our Savior. Remember the story of what happens in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, there's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery... And she's brought before Jesus, and the Pharisees are trying to kind of trip Jesus up. And they say, what should we do with this woman? Should we stone this woman? That's what the law says. And look at how Jesus responds in John chapter 8. After writing, the name, writing down on the ground, he says, Women, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Because all of those Pharisees had left. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. One by one, all the people dispersed. And then Jesus says this, No one, Lord. Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So all these people, these Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, this woman is a woman who's in the darkness. What should we do with her? Should we stone her? And Jesus shows them, you're all in the darkness. All of you deserve to be separated from God. All of you deserve to be condemned. All of you are in that darkness. And it doesn't matter if you're in the darkness. The matter is, are you going to come out of that darkness to the light? And so this woman doesn't find condemnation from Jesus. She finds grace. And Jesus says, go and sin no more. Doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you're going. Leave your life of darkness behind. Some of us here, maybe we've been doing all the right things. We've been praying for others, investing in them, loving them. 
And it seems like we're hitting a brick wall. We're getting roadblocks every step of the way. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to persevere. Because God never gives up on us. He could choose to leave, He could have chose to leave us in our sin, but He never gives up on us. His love is never ending. And so if He doesn't give up on us as long as we have breath in this life, we shouldn't give up on other people as well. In the end, they will see our heart. In the end, they will see our love for God and love for other people. Others of us today, maybe we're walking in darkness. Maybe we're comfortable there. Maybe that's the place that we've been hanging out for a long time. Because in and of ourselves, all of us prefer darkness rather than the light. Because it's easier to stay with what we know than to come to God and to be exposed and to realize who we are before Him. But the truth is God sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross so that we wouldn't have to live in darkness anymore. And when we come to him, he doesn't come to, he doesn't have this heart that he wants to condemn us. He could have said to this woman who comes to him, you know what you're doing? It's terrible. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. But it doesn't say that. He says, go and sin no more. Leave your life of darkness behind. When we come to God, we find grace. And he offers a new life, a life that we could never imagine, a life that's much greater than the life in the darkness. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you never give up on us. Even though we go astray, even though we prefer darkness rather than the light. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't give up on those around us, even when they're making decisions that we know are harmful to them, leading them far from you. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't give up on them, that we would stay faithful to showing them your love and your grace. Lord, I pray for any of us here, uh, maybe some of us have never entered into relationship with you and all of our life has kind of been filled by this darkness. Lord, I pray that today would be the day they turn from their sin and put their faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray for any of us who are believers today who are living in darkness. Lord, I pray that we would run from that darkness and find grace, find mercy in your arms. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.